0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed. Blasphemy against the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. For the Secret Church 5 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit radical.net/slash SC5. And this is Secret Church 5 Episode 1.
1: When Heather and I had been dating for a few years, it became clear that. Uh, God was leading me, so I thought, believed to ask this girl to marry me, and and so I went into the process of beginning to shop for this wedding ring or engagement ring at that time. And uh, if you are in college tonight, I would encourage you to make sure to begin saving now for that investment. It will cost you the farm. So. Uh, I saved up, and I got the ring. I remember I got it on a Tuesday morning. And I'm the kind of guy that has a tendency to lose things, and I thought this is not something I want to lose. And so I've got this in my possession. I need to get it out of my possession as soon as possible. And so my plan was on Tuesday night, I was going to ask her to marry me. And so I had about 10 hours where I needed to hold on to this ring during the day. I only had one errand I needed to run. I needed to go to the mall and and get this CD from a music store that I was going to use in the whole engagement process, which is a whole other story. So I needed to go and get this particular CD. And I was scared to death that this was going to be the day when I walk in the mall and some guy was going to come up and mug me and he was going to take the ring. This was just going to be my day. And so I decided I was going to take every precaution I could. Uh, It wasn't that cold outside, but I found the heaviest coat I had. And it had a little pocket inside it, in the chest of it here. And so I unzipped the pocket, I put the ring in, zipped the pocket up, put the heavy coat on, got out of the car there at the mall, and I hunched over with my hand on the ring. That way I would have it on the ring at all times. And I just walked into the mall like this. No eye contact, just go in, get the job done, come out. So I go into the music store and I'm looking around. Uh, for this particular CD, and I'm having a hard time finding it. And so I'm looking around uh, a bit awkwardly, and I decide I'm going to need a little help, and so I go over to the the lady who works there at the store, and I say, "Uh, I'm looking for this particular uh, CD. Can you help me? And she says, sure. And so uh, she starts walking me around the store looking for it, and she starts making small talk. I'm not in the mood for small talk with the lady at the mall, but she is. And she says, well, why do you want this particular CD? And I, I said, well, Getting engaged tonight, and and she said, "Really?" She said, "Do you have the ring with you?" <laughs> One of those moments where you're wondering if if just in this instance it would be okay to lie, like <laughs> conditional ethics. So so I looked at her and I didn't lie. I said, uh, "Yes, ma'am, I've got the ring with me." She said, uh, she said. Oh, I would love to see it. And I'm thinking, this is it. I'm about to pull it out. The guy's going to come running by. He's going to take it. It's all over. So we were kind of in the back of the, of the store, and so I kind of turned my back to everybody else, unzipped it, pull it out, and I show it to her. And she leans down. She looks at it. And she says, wow, that's beautiful. Then she raises up and yells to all of her coworkers, hey, everybody, this guy's getting engaged. Come check out this ring. I'm just waiting. Now, I'm just going to throw it to somebody. Like, whoever is supposed to take it, I'm going to save him the trouble. I'm just going to give it to him. So everybody in the store is coming over to look at the ring. I'm like, lady, please just give me the CD. And. And so finally she does, and I go running out of the mall. I remember on that day, everything changed about me. The way I talked, the way I was walking, the way I was acting, everything changed when I realized what a valuable possession I had with me. And I want to remind you tonight over the next six hours what a valuable treasure we have in the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. He lives in us. This is the Spirit of God who takes up residence in us. And I am convinced that our lives as Christians would radically change if we realized what a treasure is in us. If we really believed what enormous, valuable, precious treasure we have living in us in the Holy Spirit. This, this topic does not come tonight by accident or by coincidence. Over the last year, through various circumstances, and in large part through my complete and utter inability as a pastor, I have come face to face with my self-sufficiency that plagues me. And along the way, face to face with a frightening realization, I am a part, and I think I would be safe to say we are a part, of a religious system today in our culture that has created a whole host of means and methods for doing church that in the end requires little, if any, help at all from the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to fall on our faces and fast for the church to grow. We have marketing to do that. We don't have to bring the crowds in through prayer. We have publicity for that. We have deceived ourselves, mistaking the f- presence of physical bodies in a building for the existence of spiritual life. And it is dangerously possible. I'm convinced in my own life and the church here and churches that are represented around this room, it is dangerously possible for us to go through the routines and the programs and the stuff we do in church and get to the end and look back and realize that the Spirit of God has been almost entirely absent and completely neglected in the process, I am convinced more than ever that the greatest hindrance, and I know this is a bold statement, but I don't think it's overstatement, the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the glory of God in the world today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. What if it's not The self indulgent immorality that surrounds us in our culture, but the self sufficient mentality that plagues us in the church that is hindering the advancement of the gospel in the world. Exodus 33 has been a text. I I actually preached this text. I'm going to do my best not to try to preach a whole sermon. It's like we don't have enough information to cover tonight. But I, I want to remind you this is something we studied at Brook Hills earlier this year. And I want to remind you of of our need for the Spirit. One overarching question tonight in your notes. Are we, as a people, as the people of God, are we dependent on ourselves or are we desperate for His Spirit? Are we desperate for His Spirit? Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Verse 15, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. Here's Moses beginning of this chapter, he's led the people of God out of slavery in Egypt through the desert, some to this point, this is before the wanderings in the desert, but they've seen bread come from heaven and water come from rocks and God has has poured out his grace and his majesty, led them through the Red Sea where they looked in their rearview mirrors and saw the water come crumbling down on the Egyptians. God has shown himself. And he gets to this point, and right after Exodus 32 is when Moses is meeting up on the mountain with God. He comes down from the mountain, and the people of God are worshiping a golden calf and indulging in all kinds of revelry. It's one of the most incredible pictures of intercession in the whole Old Testament in Exodus 32. Moses pleads on behalf of the people of God. And by God's grace, at the end, only 3,000 people die. Only 3,000. And then God says in Exodus 33, here's the deal. I've promised you this land. It's the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. It's yours. It's yours to take. The only problem is I'm not going with you into that land. So there Moses is. He can have the the blessings of God, the promised land. He can have the blessings of God apart from the presence of God. How would we respond? Be careful before we answer that question. Blessings of God apart from the presence of God. Isn't this exactly the brand of Christianity that we have manufactured today? Pray this prayer. Go to heaven, experience the blessings of God. You don't have to live with him as your Savior and your God. You don't have to experience his authoritative presence in your life on a moment-by-moment basis. It's blasphemy. You don't go to heaven if you don't want God. Contrary to popular evangelistic invitations today, we do not come to Christ to get forgiveness and to get best life and abundant life and heaven and all of these things. Not that those things are not good. But we come to Christ to get God And all these things flow from God, and we need God, and only the Spirit of God can reveal himself to us. And so Moses pleads in this chapter, God, I cannot move one step forward without the fullness of your presence. This is huge for our understanding of this topic tonight. Why we must be desperate for the Spirit. Four reasons, very quickly. Number one, we have an assignment that we cannot fulfill. We have an assignment we can't fulfill. Moses looks at what God is calling him to do. The task God has put before him to lead these people in the promised land. And he says, I can't do it, God. There is no way that I can take this people into that land apart from your presence. There is an obvious discrepancy between what you're calling me to do and the resources you have given me to do it. He sees the depth, the magnitude of the task that he has, and that drives him to desperation. Maybe one of the reasons that we lose a sense of desperation for the Spirit is because we lose sight of the magnitude of the tasks that we have been called to. Let's be honest, since we last gathered together for Secret Church, if you were here in early May, since that time, just right after that, you know over 100,000 people swept away by a cyclone in Myanmar. Over 70,000 people killed almost instantly in an earthquake in China. Most of them, most of that 170,000 plus, having little to no knowledge of the gospel. And since we've gathered together, there have been changes in our country, here. The need around the world continues to grow with the global food crisis in light of economic woes. Is, as long as we think we can program our way out of this in the church, then we are hopeless. But when we say, God, this task is too great for us to do, we've got to have your spirit. Now we're understanding. We have an assignment we can't fulfill. This is why we've got to be desperate for a spirit. We have a privilege we can't forsake. That's the second thing there. This is Moses. The picture here, go to verse 7. I just want you to picture this with me, remind you of this picture. Verse 7, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, listen to this, picture this, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever people, people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the t- entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. If that verse, verse 11, does not astound you, astound us, we don't know God. Get the picture. Whenever Moses starts walking out to this tent that's set up. You're hanging out in your tent. One day, talk with friends. All of a sudden, word gets out. Moses is going to the tent. And so you and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people come outside your tents, and you stand in silent awe as you watch this man walk in front of you. You gaze as he journeys down to this tent, and he opens this tent, walks in, closes it, and a pillar of cloud comes and rests on it. And the whole community of faith is standing in awe because there is a man who is meeting with God. What a sight. And it's one of those places we just can't leave this text in the Old Testament Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you that by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we do not have to come out and watch some man, some select leader go in and meet with God. Every single one of us in this room who has a relationship with Christ has the privilege of being in the tent with this God. And not just just being in the tent. You are the tent. You're the tent. He dwells with us. What a privilege that we have, a privilege that was reserved for only a select few in the Old Testament. You and I have the privilege of living in and walking in and experiencing on a daily basis. We've got to be people who are desperate for a spirit. How can we get so busy with stuff and ignore this privilege? We have a privilege we can't forsake, we have a family we can't forget. The whole picture in Moses, and the uh, Moses is praying in verse 15 and 16, is not just for God's blessings on him, but on God's blessings on the people of God. He's calling out for God to pour out his Fullness of his presence on me and your people, on us. You're doing this among us. And this is a corporate thing. We're going to see this throughout the night. The Spirit of God moves among his people. Yes, he does work in our lives individually, no question. But his work is ultimately about a people and conforming a people into the image of Christ. We're together in this thing. we a people. And then fourth reason, we have a God we cannot fathom. When you get to verse... 18, and Moses says, now show me your glory. I think it's one of the most bold prayers in the Old Testament. I mean, think about it. This is the guy who saw God's glory in a burning bush, who was on the front lines of all those plagues in Egypt, who got to lead the people of God through the Red Sea. This is the guy who got, guy who got to hit the rock so that water comes out and got to intercede so that food would come down from heaven. When everybody else had to flee the mountain, because it was too dangerous. Moses is the one who got, up, got to go up on the mountain and see the glory of God. If anybody had seen the glory of God, Moses had, and now he comes to this point and he says, now show me your glory? How can he ask that? Here's how. Once you tasted the glory of this God, you have an insatiable desire for more and more and more and more and more. You want to experience more of his glory. And this is why we've got to be a people who are desperate for his spirit. Because this is where John 16, 12-15 is a place we'll look. You might just write it down here. But John 16, 12-15, is when Jesus says to his disciples, the spirit, when he comes, is going to take all that I have, all that is mine, and he's going to make it known to you. He says, "All that Jesus says, "All the Father has belongs to me, and the Spirit is going to take all that I have and make it known to you." That's good news. That's a lot of stuff. All the Father has belongs to Jesus, and He's going to make it known to us, and He's going to do it through His spirit. You and I have an avenue to experience and know and grow in the glory of God, moment by moment, day by day, through communion with the Spirit of God. So if we want to know the glory of God, then we've got to be a people who are desperate for the Spirit of God. These are four reasons, and they lead to four prayers for our time together tonight. Jonathan Edwards said in the middle of a great awakening, he said, when God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. Four prayers. Number one, may God's presence come down. This is four prayers for our time together tonight. May his presence come down. Psalm forty-four, twenty-three. 23. Awake, O Lord, rise up. Psalm 80, 14. Return to us. Look down from heaven and restore us, O God. Awaken us. May God's presence come down in our hearts in a powerful way tonight. Second, may God's word come home. This is Nehemiah 8, 2 Chronicles 34. It's those times when the power of God is being displayed in unusual ways in the Old Testament. And... Nehemiah 8, they open up the book and everybody stands. They lift their hands. They start shouting, amen, amen, and they're bowing down with their faces to the ground in response to his word. 2 Chronicles 34, we found the book, the book we've neglected, the book we have ignored. We found it. And it sparks revival among the people of Israel. May God's word come home. May we receive the word. May we receive the word like they did when Ezra opened the book in Nehemiah and the people just responded to worship and may we reproduce the word. And this is where I want to remind you, do this at each secret church. Our goal tonight is not for those of us in this room to learn about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's not the goal tonight. If that's the goal tonight, then we have missed the point. Because that is a very self-centered goal. It's just about us in this room. The goal tonight is not entertainment for us. This is not the best method of entertainment. Cram over 2,000 plus people into a room for six plus hours and that will be entertaining. It's not not entertainment, it's equipping. The goal tonight is that 2,000 plus people would walk away from here equipped to teach others about the Holy Spirit of God. And so... So I urge you to listen with others in mind. Listen for the sake of people in your sphere of influence. Listen for the sake of people that God will lead you to do disciple-making in your relationship with them. Listen for the sake of people around the world that you will have the opportunity to teach the truth of Christ about the Holy Spirit of God too. May we reproduce the word. Take good notes, pay attention close, and hopefully you're sitting next to the person who also takes good notes. So stay awake. Ask the Spirit to help you stay awake tonight. So may God's Word come home. May His presence come down. His Word come home. May His holiness come through. I, I'm praying that our time together tonight would be a refining time, that we would be conformed more into the image of Christ. It's not just Bible study for the sake of Bible study. We want to be more like Christ at 12, 1230 tonight than we are right now. We want to grow in holiness. I've prayed, I've prayed for you that God would by His Spirit quicken our consciences tonight, that He would expose sin in our lives, that He would refine us and, and purify us as we look at the Holy Spirit of God tonight. May His holiness come through and forth, may God's people come alive. May apathy be struck down in any sh- way, shape, or form in our Christianity in this room. May complacency be struck down by a fresh eagerness and desire to know the glory of God through the power of the Spirit of God. I want to I pause. We've not done this at Secret Church. I, one of my favorite stories about D.L. Moody, he's a famous preacher from the past, and uh, he, was, he was preaching in the United States, doing revival meetings in all kinds of places and many people were coming to Christ and he had started to do ministry in England. And there, at the beginning of his ministry there, he tells a story in his biography. His biographer tells a story of him, him going over to this particular church and he was preaching on a Sunday morning. And he preached. And the whole time he preached, preached his heart out, but he said it was one of those moments where you're wondering if anybody's listening. And it just doesn't seem like there's much life. And he got to the end, and he challenged people to respond to the gospel. Nobody responded. It was just dead as can be. And he was supposed to preach again that night, and he was really discouraged. Part of him didn't really want to even come back that night. He came back that night, though, and he preached again. And he said in his journal when he preached that night, there was a whole different spirit in the room. People were sitting on the edge of their seats. They were listening. They got to the end, and he Challenged people to respond to the gospel. He said, If you want to trust in Christ tonight, then I want to invite you to stand where you are. And people stood up all across the room. Same people that were sitting there in the morning that seemed like they were asleep. And so Moody thought, Well, maybe they had misunderstood me. And so he told them to sit down. He said, Wait, wait, sit down. And he went through the gospel again. And he said, Now, if you really want to trust in Christ tonight, stand up now. And more people stood up the second time than the first time. Moody was still not convinced. Something's missing here. And so he told him to sit back down. True story. He said, sit back down. And he goes to the gospel again and he says, Now if you really want to respond to Christ tonight, then meet me and the pastor at a side room after the meeting is over. He said, We'll just see if they really are interested in this and we'll go over there. And so they dismiss the meeting and they go into the side room and it's packed, standing room only, in this room. Moody's still not convinced. He goes through again, and he says, now, if you really want to trust in Christ, you come back tomorrow night. Mo- Moody was leaving town the next morning. He says, you come back tomorrow night, and the pastor will share with you that. And so he gets, he gets up the next morning and leaves town. True story. Leaves all these people hanging. He gets to the next place where he's gone, and he gets a telegram from the pastor of that church and said, Moody... This telegram said, Moody, you've got to get back here. There are more people who shut up Monday night than were here on Sunday night. And everybody's wanting to give their hearts to Christ. And he went back and he preached for consecutive weeks there. And the whole town just experienced a mighty awakening as, as huge percentages of people were coming to faith in Christ. Moody was an inquisitive guy. He wanted to find out what happened between Sunday morning and Sunday night. It was something so different. Same people, different pictures. And he began to do some research and he found that there was a woman in that area, a bedridden woman who had read about Moody's ministry in the United States. She was not at worship that morning. Her sister brought her some food, her sister who went to that church and brought her some food and she asked, well, how was the service this morning? And her sister said, oh, it's kind of boring. This guy named Dale Moody preached. Immediately the woman's eyes lit up. She said, I've been praying that God would bring this man to preach to our community. And she said, put my food aside. I'm going to fast the rest of the afternoon. And I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would pour out his blessing on our church and this community through this man. And I share that with you because I believe that our time together tonight will be in vain if we try to do it apart from the power of the Spirit of God. And so I want to invite you, with two or three people around you, to take just a couple of minutes, and I want us to ask, I want us to plead, I want us to pray in desperation, Spirit of God, teach us, show us, refine us. These four prayers, may your presence come down, may your word come home, may you May your holiness come through and may, may your people come alive tonight. Take a minute with two or three people around you and, and pray together. Just pray together and then after just a couple of minutes, then I will close this. Pray together now.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.